reading tonight is taken from John's Gospel, um, chapter 4. It's a bit long, but uh, bear with me. Um, Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them as disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sagar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well until noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because the disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And she said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you're speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get the living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon come thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're now living with. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist Jerusalem is the only place for worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here on Mount Zerahim, where our ancestors worshipped? Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know, that, uh, know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's now here, when three worship, worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship in that way, for God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then his disciples came back, they were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see the man who has told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him and then on to verse 39. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman, because what the woman had said. He told me everything I ever, I ever did. When they came out to him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear the message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not just because what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. I'm going to have a drink of water after that. As Jesus said, or Jesus, as David said, good start, isn't it? As David said 
And we're continuing our series looking at John's Gospel. And tonight, of course, it's John 4. And the title is Jesus the Soul Winner. And this is probably my favorite story on Jesus. I was really, when, they, when you see the preaching rota coming out in Willowfield, you never know what's going to be on. But I seen it was on, and then it was John 4, and I thought, well, that's actually, I like that passage. That's a good passage to preach on. But let, so, as we turn to tonight, let's get a little bit of background, which sets the scene for what is about to happen. Israel at this time is divided into three regions. There's Judea in the south, there's Galilee in the north, and in between sandwiched is Samaria. And when a Jew wanted to go from Judea to Galilee or Galilee to Judea, the most direct route led straight through Samaria. But good Jews would never go that way. They would go through Perea on the other side of the River Jordan. And the reason for that, as we know, is that the Samaritans and the Jews didn't get on. In fact, they hated one another. And that all stemmed back from a time when the Assyrians invaded Israel and they dragged a lot of the people away. But they left some behind. And, and what was so familiar, what, what invading armies done, then they would, they would send some of their own people into the country that they'd taken over. And the Assyrians come in, and, and for the Jews that was left, they intermarried. And this intermarriage, those people became known as the Samaritans who were half-breeds as far as the Jews were concerned. These people in Assorta had, had intermarried with the enemy, the one that had caused them so much pain. You know, the Assyrians were a brutal, brutal people. So the Jews had no time for them, and they barred them from the temple. So the Samaritans built their own temple on Mount Gerizim. So in tonight's reading, Jesus and the disciples are in Judea, the southern kingdom. And the Pharisees are not happy with what Jesus is doing. And it seems at this time, it's early on in Jesus' ministry, and, and he just doesn't want to confront them at this time. So he decides to go back to Galilee. And the quickest way, of course, is to go through Samaria. However, John highlights the problem to us. Jews refuse to have anything to do with the Samaritans. However, we see here that Jesus has little time for division. He's little time for uh, prejudice, there's little time for bigotry or, or whatever. So he just heads straight up through Samaria. Heads straight up through. And what results is this great story from John 4. So let's explore it together and discover what God wants to speak in our hearts um, tonight. So they're heading up through Samaria. And the first thing we see here that actually Jesus is human like us. He is God in human flesh, but he's human. He gets tired, he gets hungry, and he gets thirsty. Eventually, they came to the Samaritan village of Sagar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime, and the disciples gone off to get some food. I have three questions tonight. So here's the first question. What are you like when you're tired, hungry, and thirsty, and you're weary? What are you like? Plenty of smiles about, that near says it all. <laughs> There's probably a few, few nice special people sitting in here tonight who are so full of grace and so on and so forth, but most of us, once we're in that tired, 
thirsty, hungry place were quite irritable. So just imagine you're in that place for a moment. Then, into that situation, God gives you this brilliant opportunity to speak for him. How responsive are you? Do you even hear? But how responsive are you? No, a conversation opens up or there's an opportunity to pray with someone or this prophetic message flashes into your brain for someone. Or this still small voice says, go on, I give you this opportunity. You're going, I'm hungry, I'm tired and thirsty, Lord, go away. Have you ever been there? I have. I have. More than once. And sometimes my reaction hasn't been that great. Not now, Lord. I'm tired, I'm hungry and thirsty. Or I'm on holidays. It's my downtime. God has a habit of bringing things in front of me when I'm on holidays. Well, Jesus is tired. He's thirsty, he's hungry, he's weary. And he sits down by the well, and it's the middle of the day, so it's really warm. And along comes a woman of all people that had to come along. It had to be a woman. Women generally don't collect water at that time of the day. What's she doing there? What's she there? Jesus sat down, weary, tired, and next thing, a woman comes. And why was that such a problem? Well, we read in rabbinic uh, uh, citations, this is what, if you're a rabbi, this is what you were told. One should not talk with a woman on the street, not even with his own wife, and certainly not with someone else's wife, because of the gossip of men. Notice it's not the gossip of women, it's the gossip of men. And it's forbidden to give a woman any greeting. And as we discover as we follow on in this passage, like this is no ordinary woman. She's been married five times. It doesn't tell us why she's been married five times. Is she a widow? Does men sort of keep dying around her? Doesn't, we're not told. Has she been abused or is she the abuser? Is she divorced? We, we don't really know. What we do know is at the present time she's living with someone that she's not married to. In other words, she's living a sinful life for whatever reason. So you have the history between these two regions. You have a woman who also has a questionable lifestyle. You think it's, it's time to move on. This really isn't a God thing. It's time to move on. But Jesus sits there. And we get this remarkable encounter and so remarkable is not only has this woman's lives changed actually a town is changed from one encounter so the second question this evening I'm going through this quite well the second question this evening are you willing to pay the price of sharing the gospel to be a soul winner are you willing to pay the price You know, so often in this country, we come up with, with really good reason to exclude others from hearing the gospel. Because either it doesn't suit us at that particular time, or it challenges our cultural identity or our social standing. Or we value our reputation too much. Actually, above someone else's salvation. You know, for example, 
We don't want to be condemned by society, by our friends, by our family, by the church, because we're seen to associate with someone who is deemed as unacceptable, or as the Bible would put it, unclean or impure. And for this, for us, it could be many different, but it could be the other side. In Northern Ireland, we're good for the other side. You know, it could be the, the loyalist, the Republican. You know, the terrorist, the Protestant, the Catholic, the orange man, the homosexual, the lesbian, the pedophile, the rapist, the drug addict, the alcoholic. It just, it just could go on. There's a list. You just could keep going. What will others think if we associate with them, if we start to draw alongside them? And God forbid we even let them into our buildings. Jesus, I believe here, sounds like a real challenge to us. Very, very clear. Jesus didn't care what other people thought. He didn't care at all. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is for everyone. But it could be costly to share it. There could be a price to pay. In fact, we're told, Paul tells us in Romans 10, that actually, how can people know about Christ? someone doesn't tell them. And that someone is you and me. So Jesus sits there. He doesn't move on. He doesn't get irritable. He sits there and engages in a conversation with this woman. And the interesting thing is, he actually gives us an opportunity, this woman, an opportunity to serve him. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords this woman who is deemed very low in society gives her the opportunity to serve. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. The woman was surprised for Jesus refused to find to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus starts the conversation quite naturally. He's thirsty. I want a drink. And the woman's response is actually quite natural too. What are you doing here? And why are you talking to me? But we very quickly see the heart of Jesus. We see his heart. He says, if you only knew the gift that God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. The woman's not quite sure what Jesus is talking about. In fact, she doesn't seem to have a clue at all. And why would she? But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us us well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Jesus is offering this woman living water that will quench her thirst for answers about herself, about life, about God, and about eternity. Actually, questions that we all have, questions that actually society has in general. We all have them whether we want to admit it or not. You know, we're, we're told in Ecclesiastes 3 that God has planted eternity in the heart of every single person. So every single person that has ever been created, that will be created, 
There's a longing, there's a thirst within them to discover who they are, what life is about, who God is, and, and, and what eternity is about. And Jesus is saying here, I will offer you the answers to your questions. I will quench your thirst. Not only that, he said, I will bring spiritual life that becomes like a fresh, bubbling spring within us. Woman still hasn't got it. She still seems to have no idea what Jesus is speaking about. Ever been there? Maybe you're there in this place now. You hear the words, and, and, and maybe you've been here for a while, and, and you're hearing the words, but you don't really understand what's been said. You don't grasp the gospel. You don't grasp God's love for you. You just can't get it all together in a package that makes sense. Well, this is where the woman's at at this particular stage. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Great, she's thinking, I'll not have to come here in the middle of the day anymore and get this water out of the well. Still hasn't got there. But then Jesus uses, you know, supernatural insight, a word of knowledge, whatever way you want to put it, which opens our heart to the understanding who he really is. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband. You have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're now living with. You certainly spoke the truth. Certainly spoke the truth. She begins to understand. Then Jesus goes on to explain something that would have been really remarkable for the listeners in his day. He says, the time is coming, and indeed it is here now, when three worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For, the, for the God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. He's talking about new life. The indwelling of God, the Holy Spirit. That living water is for everyone. And it is within us. It wells up giving us life and life in all its fullness. You know, the conversation finishes with these words. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. The woman runs back to the town and she tells about her encounter and we're told that many believed. Sinners in the woman, Jesus the soul winner, then the woman becomes the soul winner. My third and final question tonight. Have you an open heart to Jesus? See, this woman's life was messed up in more ways than one. But she wanted to know the truth. She was willing to explore truth even though it, it didn't initially fit, you know, within 
her books of upbringing, our cultural identity, our religious teaching, it, you know, our, the social norms. It didn't fit in any of that. But she was still wanting to know truth. And with that, her life was transformed and so were others. You see, she encountered Jesus. And when we encounter Jesus with an open heart, see, you can encounter Jesus with a closed heart and walk away. But when you encounter Jesus with an open heart, there's things start to happen. See, we see firstly that there's revelation. It's interesting in this, you know, Jesus asks her a question. And the question is, go and get your husband. And she replies, truthfully, to a certain extent, she says, I haven't got a husband. That wasn't really the whole story. She told Jesus some of the truth, some of her story. But what happens? Her whole story is revealed to her. Jesus finishes it off. Folks, when we when we come before God with, a, a, with an open heart, you know, the sin in our lives is revealed. You know, Isaiah, the prophet, you know, he, he's, he's taken in a vision into the presence of God in Isaiah 6. He says, Woe to me, I cry, I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I'm among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah is brought into the presence of God, and all of a sudden, he sees his life as it really is unpure before a holy God. We're told when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Jesus reveals to us our sin. And I say that's a good thing. It's a great thing. Because then we know we need to do something about it. We're in a far, far more dangerous place when we're not aware that we're sinful. And then the other thing we see here, and what's revealed to this woman who Jesus really is. As she opens her heart, she discovers who he is. It takes a while. It takes a little while. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. And later she runs back to the village. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? The woman opened her heart. I wonder tonight, have we such open hearts? Hearts to discover more about Jesus more about his call in our lives, more about his purposes for us. Are we willing to be truthful before him? And let him reveal stuff in our lives that's not right and be prepared to deal with it. Because when we do, there's something remarkable happens. We see transformation. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in the woman because of, believed and him because of the woman's testimony. Her life was transformed and others were transformed. This woman probably wasn't the most popular in the town. It would be unusual for her to be at the well by herself in the middle of the day. Her standing in society probably wasn't that great. And one way or the other, she's had a pretty miserable life, I would think. A lot of hurt and a lot of pain. Maybe caused by herself, more than likely caused by other people. She could have carried much hurt and much bitterness. 
Yet she seems to set that to the side or let Jesus deal with it, whatever way. She could have kept this great news to herself. She could have stayed at the well with Jesus. She could have stayed in the presence of Jesus. She could just could have sat there with him and not worried about the rest of the town. She had met Jesus. She had met the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. She had met the person that, that flung the, the stars into space. Oh, let's just sit where we're at. But no. She went to those that probably had excluded her. She shows amazing grace and compassion. And she tells him. See, through conversion, through coming to Christ means transformation. You know, when we truly give our lives to Jesus, we should begin to see the world through his eyes. And he begins placing the things that's on his heart, on our hearts. And we see this actually very quickly. Jesus and this woman now demonstrate it to us because there's, you know, being prejudiced, holding grudges, an unwillingness to forgive, no desire to reach out with the love of Christ to those we don't like or don't agree or don't want to interact with, actually, that attitude has no place in the kingdom of God. In fact, it's probably an outward sign of a closed heart or a hardened heart or maybe a hurting heart. Not open to the presence of God in us. And and this woman's the total opposite. You know, sin is the thing that stops us coming to God in the first place. You know, the cross, Jesus removed that. But actually, as we go on through life, unrepented sin hinders the work of God in our lives. Or an unwillingness to let God release us from hurts from the past hinders the work of God in our lives. When we refuse to let God come and bring healing hinders the work of God in our lives. So we see with an open heart there's revelation, there's transformation and finally there's empowering. An open heart to God, a willingness to let him work in our lives, to let him reveal and deal with our sins opens up for us that we're free we're released to walk into all that God has for us. You know, wh- wh- why did the people believe this woman? You know, why did they believe her? You know, she wasn't the most holy example to be walking about the town. Why did they believe her? Why all of a sudden Did they believe her? I don't know, but I'm going to throw something out there. I think such was an encounter with Jesus that others seen Jesus in her. I think that's what it is. She was carrying something of the presence of God. You know, when when I became a Christian, the night that I became a Christian, it was in the, the... show my age, the Pictor House in Kilkeel or outside the Pictor House in Kilkeel. 
Um, at that time, I was, uh, I was um, a leader in a, a loyalist flute band. And so I went to the mission. I gave my life to Jesus. I dropped Eunice, my wife, off at, home, off at home, and then went to band practice, as one does. Your life is just totally changed and transformed, and you go to band practice. That's what I did. And I thought, there's no way I'm saying to anybody what I've just done. Too much stick, too much hassle. And I didn't. But by the following week, everybody knew. Um, everybody was surprised, I think. Everybody knew. But it was interesting. Some of band practice already knew when I walked into the hall that night. They seen something or they experienced something. It wasn't by what I said because I didn't say anything. I believe it took something of God with me into that hall that wasn't there before. And I think we're getting a picture of that here. The Spirit of God was released through her. Her life was transformed and so were others. You know, as the people of God, we carry the presence of God. We know that, each and every one of us. That's what it means, you know, we're, we're born again of the Spirit of God. God dwells within us with the power of the risen Christ within us. That gives us the ability to bring healing, to, to speak prophetically into people's lives, to, to speak with authority of Christ, you know, to, to pray for His power, to drive out demons, whatever, you know, that's who we are in Christ. Christians are not just what we do here on a Sunday. You know, being a Christian isn't about having nice little groups where we feel comfortable with one another or feeling good about ourselves or feeling, you know, we now belong to something. Yes, there is a, that is a part of it. But if that's all that our Christian life takes on, if our, our lives aren't been changed and transformed, you know, if the world hasn't been impacted around us, in fact, if we're not soul winners, we're selling God short. We're selling ourselves short. And we're selling the lost world short. Jesus would go on to say, I didn't read all, four months more and then the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields that are ripe for harvest. I've said this many, many a time. I was actually preaching this morning in our church and I said this. I reckon that's the reason we're here. That when we give our lives to Jesus, we just don't go to be with him because we need to win others for him. I may be a little bit biased now, but that's what I reckon. Our calling is to reach a lost world. Being soul winners. The woman did it. And you know what's interesting? If you go back to that quote I had from Isaiah, the prophet, he has this incredible encounter with God. And what does he say at the end of it? He gets the living daylight frightened out of him. But then he realizes God's cleansing and God's purity. God comes and touches him and he says, God, send me. Send me. I wonder tonight if we're here with with open hearts. You know, if we're in the place where we're letting Jesus reveal who
who he really is and who we really are, if we're open to transformation and his empowering, are we in that place tonight? Because I think if we're in that place tonight, and this was sort of frightening for me this week as I just put this down, because if we're in that place tonight, then I think we need to be in the place where Isaiah was at. Here I am, Lord, send me. Here I am, Lord, send me. I think if we're in that place where we're, where, where we're open to the Lord, where we're letting him reveal to us, letting him transform us and empower us, then we have to be in the place where we say, here I am, Lord, send me. Send me to my family. Send me to the community. Send me to those people I really can't get on with. But it could be send me to Dublin. It could be send me to Cork. It could be send me to England. It could be send me to India. Can we say, Lord, send me? Is that, can we say that tonight? Four months more than the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. So, so much more could be said in this story that I'm not going to say anymore. But I suppose tonight as I finish, we all have to make a decision in our lives whether we open our hearts to the Lord and how much we open to him and how much we let him reveal to us what he needs to do in our lives. And ultimately, it's up to us how much we let God by his Holy Spirit transform us. And it's actually up to us to how much we let God empower us. But I wonder if we were all up for it, what difference there would be. Now, this one woman, one woman, a town was transformed. How many people's here tonight? 130, 140. Imagine we all went to one town. Here I am, Lord. Send me. 140 towns. You never know. Let's pray.